What do a dentist and a gynecologist have in common? Beyond Our Lips, a podcast where best friends and practicing doctor moms use their gift of gab and professional passions to entertain, educate, and inspire. We've talked a lot about surgery and now to pull into the baby lane. Because baby David sighed, and um, he wanted to hear about he wants he wants to be mentioned in this conversation he does. about newborn life. He does. So talking about anesthesia in an obstetrical context, that means like labor and delivery and having babies and all the stuff. When you have a baby, you have the choice of a lot of different types of anesthesia available to you. I won't say a lot, but a few at least. Some people will choose not to have any anesthesia during their labor and delivery process. That is a choice. That is your style points. Um, and a good team is there to support you in that so that you have the experience that you like and a happy, healthy baby to boot. Um, and then some people will choose to have medications or procedures to help them ease the pain of labor. We talked how about how some people will use nitrous oxide to kind of relax them during their labor process. Some facilities have that at bay. Some facilities do not. And then usually my patients, I'll be having a conversation about IV sedation or IV drugs to help them with pain versus regional anesthesia component. And you're the expert here um, altogether. The medications that we use are not super strong medications. They typically make mom sleepy and I'll see signs that the baby is sleepy. So if the baby doesn't look beautiful on my monitoring where I'm watching the baby's heartbeat, um, then they would not qualify for that. And if the baby looks fantastic, because I know it's sedating to mom, it's then sedating to baby, so I'm not surprised when after I give them a little pain medicine that the baby's chilled out on the monitor. Not worrisomely so, um, but to some degree. But then we escalate, and if moms need some stronger help, it typically will lend itself to what's called an epidural, which I think a lot of people have heard about. Give us a scoop on what is an epidural. So an epidural is a component of what we call neuraxial anesthesia. So we mm. talked about regional, which is going to be your peripheral nerves. So they go, those that go to like your arms or your legs. Um, neuraxial is there in and around your spinal cord. So we're going through the spine and an epidural, epi means on top, is um, the layer that is just on top or more shallow than the dura. And the dura, you might remember, is that sac that goes around the spinal cord that contains the spinal fluid inside. So the epidural is um, where we put a needle into that space, the epidural space, and we thread in a really small catheter. And catheter, by that we mean just a small piece of plastic tubing. And it's kind of like IV tubing, but the way I describe it, it's almost as small as fishing line. It's really, really tiny. That piece of plastic is all that stays in place. The needle mm -hmm. comes out, there's nothing sharp back there. And through that piece of plastic, we're able to give local anesthetics. So things like lidocaine or bupivacaine or ropivacaine, the same medications you would inject before you did a little minor procedure mm -hmm. on the skin or that Laura injects when she does a filling. Um, it's the same family of medicines. And by putting them in the epidural space, they numb up the nerves that go to the uterus that gives those contraction Hooray's. type Absolutely. Praise. So as anesthesiologists, um, people think that we just want to put epidurals and drugs in everybody. And that's really not our goal. My main concern with patients having an epidural is a safety feature. Because if the baby starts to look unhappy or something untoward starts happening in labor and an emergency C-section um, needs to occur, then that epidural can be used to dose up the numbness nice and high all the way up to the patient's chest. And they don't have to get to sleep for their procedure. And going to sleep 
with a an emergency C-section is much, much more risky than having an epidural. So um, to me, it's a safety feature to have an epidural in place, not just yeah. for a mother's comfort, but in case of a C-section. Absolutely. And the reason we don't want you to go to sleep for your C-sections, one, you want to meet your baby at the time your baby's here. Two, you're at risk for throwing up or aspirating, which can lead to pneumonia, which can lead to other big, bad problems. So it really is a safe approach to keep you less in pain and um, altogether with less risk for you and baby altogether. That's exactly right because patients when they're pregnant have higher risk of aspiration as you said so stomach contents going into the lungs which can be in its ultimate form deadly we hope that doesn't happen um, but at least make patients very very ill and pregnant patients have more difficult airways statistically so because of all the swelling you know patients get swollen ankles they also can get swollen airways so there's a higher um, risk of difficult airway and inability to intubate or get our breathing tube in so there are multiple risks that are involved um some complications of epidurals one the statement i'm scared it's going to run out well, um, most of the time in modern times, because we have it hooked up to a pump, um, that pump always gives some medication. And then in most facilities, the patient's also given a button so they can give themselves a little extra dose. I always say sometimes your nerves get numb to the numbing medicine. It needs a little top up. So I give them a button so they can give themselves an extra dose. Um, now, over time, if you have someone with a really long labor induction or something, uh, the epidural can become less efficacious. It's, it's not working as well, um, especially patients who get a C-section more than 12 hours after their epidural is placed. There's a higher rate of failure for comfort during a C-section. So there is a chance of you having to have it replaced if it's in there for a really long time. Okay. But the medicines themselves in modern times with pumps don't really run out. And in a Southern way, bless your sweetheart if you've had it in there so long and then have to have a C-section and we Amen. have to do stuff. Yes. yes. Bless Amen. your heart. <laughs> Um, the thought process, the, the epidural is going to take away all the pain. Yeah, it really doesn't. And people have varying um, experiences, and mm -hmm. they've been told various things by all their friends and family. And so it's really um, a matter of what kind of impressions or expectations they have coming in. And it depends on patient anatomy. So we can't see the epidural space when we're putting that needle back there. We're feeling our way there. So different patients might have different little, what we call septations or little fibrous divisions that make the catheter go one side or the other, or their nerves might be more or less sensitive, like we we're talking about with patients with local anesthetic sensitivity. So some patients may be completely numb for the waist down. Most of the time though, our goal is to take away the pain of the contractions, but they're still gonna have pressure. And especially as the baby moves further down the birth canal, that's a whole different set of nerves mm -hmm. than typically what our epidural will treat. And so oftentimes patients will feel more and more as the baby moves further down the birth canal preparing for birth. Did yeah. you hear us say baby a bunch? Did you do it? <laughs> I had that sweet spot with my second one. My first one, I was like, I don't know what from down. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Y'all are telling me to push, but I don't know why I'm pushing. But then with my second one, I got that sweet spot of like, I knew I could tell when I needed to push like that good pressure yeah. And then, like, but I wasn't in any pain at all. Yeah, and that's that definitely the ideal. Yeah, that's the yeah. goal. You kind of know that that's where you're going towards, but it's not, like, violently painful. Right. And then, yeah, it's not like I have no idea that I have, even have a lower half of my legs. Whether that was the epidural in my body, who knows. 
Yeah, there's really no telling, and it's hard to know without going back in the history, and it sometimes depends the way the baby is facing. So if the baby's face is facing down towards the floor when they're being born versus when they're facing up towards the ceiling, um, different presentations of the fetus or the baby, which way they're turned, can cause different amounts of pressure on different nerves and anatomy on the way down. So um, there are a lot of different factors. Yeah. And also, each epidural can be different for every, every woman. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like every every block in dentistry can be different. I can yeah. nail one on, one on a patient one day and the next day do the exact same thing and it doesn't touch them. So. Yeah, I could do the same procedure on 10 women the same day or 10 different years and they'll be different every time so, yeah yeah it's just it's hard to say and I know that's frustrating um for patients when they may have had an expectation of what it's going to be like um but we we do our best and Mythbusters here too I have a lot of patients who will say well if I get an epidural my labor's gonna be so much slower yeah or it's gonna stall my labor I'm like stall does not mean stop and by slower this is not in the cumulative science and you may have more up to date than I even do but it may make your labor a little bit longer maybe but a little bit longer this is not like a day longer this is not even six hours longer this is more in the like maybe hour range yeah I was thinking Mm -hmm. like 30 minutes to an hour is what I remember Mm -hmm. reading most recently and then sometimes though once the patient gets comfortable they're actually able to sit up and the baby's head moves down or the pitocin can be turned up if you're having an augmented Mm -hmm. labor and induction of labor Mm -hmm. so it can actually help things go along we have a lot of moms who are very tense and once we they've stalled they're having a longer labor process. It's not going to algorithms with plan. They get their epidural, relaxes things. Yeah. They're yeah. not clenching tight. We can do more stuff. That's right. Bony structures move without discomfort. And then, you know, we're more successful with vaginal delivery than other yeah. ones. Yeah. Great. So sometimes getting comfortable can actually help all the other processes. So it depends. Again, yep. no hard and fast rules about any of this. And then sweeping into the difference between an epidural and a spinal. Let's talk about mm-hmm. spinal for a second. Sure. So a spinal, it's similar to an epidural in that we place patients up, leaning over and hunched over in a, in a hunchy position, and our needle just goes a little bit further. So instead of being epidural or on top of the dural, it goes through the dura into that fluid um, that's right around the spinal cord. So there we inject a really small amount of medicine, often about a tenth of what it, you would put in the epidural space, and it's more immediate onset. So within five to ten minutes, patients are going to be numb um, for an obstetric case from the waist down is typically what we're mm-hmm. going for. For a C-section, they're going to be numb all the way up to their chest. Or in the case of patients getting like hip or knee replacements, then we're, our goal is, of course, the lower extremities. So a spinal is just an injection of the local anesthesia medicine all the way to the fluid that's around the spinal cord. Why do they not do spinals for labor instead of epidurals? So spinal is typically a one-shot um, Oh, gotcha. Thing. That so is going to run out. That's right. Yeah. So (laughs) lidocaine usually lasts about 60 minutes in the epidural space. Bupivacaine is about 90 minutes. So usually if you're doing um, a procedure where you know sort of the length of time, Mm -hmm. you can put a catheter into this, um, that fluid around the spinal cord that's called an intrathecal catheter Um, but they sometimes are unreliable and it's increased infection risk so we don't commonly do that so typically spinal is a one-shot deal that makes total sense I've always wondered too people will get blocks like just I'm having back pain I'm going for a block Mm -hmm. is that a catheter kind of situation no it isn't it's often um 
done by a pain specialized anesthesiologist. So they've done their anesthesiology residency and then do at least a year of a pain fellowship. Um, and that's usually done in a clinic with fluoroscopy or the x-ray machine. And so the needle is placed um, exactly where they need it, like in the epidural space or right in a nerve or um, around a nerve of a facet of the bone that's in the spine. And there they inject some local numbing medicine and that causes some immediate effect. But what they're also doing is injecting some steroid. So that's what's going to give you the longer term effect is to try to decrease the inflammation around the nerve. You're on the roids, man. I didn't know that a block involved <laughs> roids. I thought it was some kind of freaky, long-acting anesthetic that and I've, that I'd never heard of before. No, usually it's just a local anesthetic plus steroid. And so the okay. local anesthesia is the immediate effect. Kind of lets them know, okay, good, we hit the right spot because right. they're already comfortable by the time they get out. And then the steroid is what gets them it through the, work the eight weeks, time. you know, for their next one. Yeah. There are ways to block the nerves permanently. So patients with cancer, you know, then they can do like alcohol injections or radiofrequency or something like that to ablate the nerves um, hmm. to try to get rid of pain. But that's... You know, we're, we're getting really yes. comfort care. We're getting way down the weeds. We just went there. Yeah, That's yeah, right. big time. Very not the same Man, as obstetrical context. Steroids. It's like just roids. You don't feel great. Steroid. You got a knee pain. Steroid. I mean, obviously yeah. you can overdose steroids, but it's, for sure, it's, yes. it's like the general catch-all. When for you like, don't know what to do, I don't know what else to give you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely can overdo it, and they have their complications. Oh, sure. yeah. they are not without issues. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, They're one quick a thing place. too before we move on from OB. Um, spinal headaches because. We have patients out there and maybe listeners who have had them or are scared of them, which is um, a pretty common postpartum complication for people who've had either an epidural or spinal, but it's in the spinal space and they have a headache, which is excruciating when they're standing up. And then we ask them to lay back down and take it away, Dr. Michelle. Yeah, so a spinal headache or a post-dural puncture headache because we're puncturing the dura. Um, You're right. It is a relatively common complication or side effect um, from a procedure. Most commonly, like you said, the spinal because in that instance, we are deliberately puncturing the dura. It can also happen after epidurals, even Mm -hmm. if we didn't knowingly... Uh, puncture the dura a little bit of a nick of the dura um, that's not recognizable clinically can cause it later and so what happens then is that fluid that's around the spinal cord can sort of leak out and it causes um, tension um, Mm -hmm. and that's what causes the headache up in the head so more commonly the way we treat it is to do an epidural blood patch and we sterilely take blood out of the arm we do it Um, We access the epidural space again, and we inject the patient's own blood into the epidural space, and it just causes a little scab or clots up that leak. And so, yeah, sometimes even within minutes, patients go from like tearful to, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. So it can be really, really rewarding. They're not, of course, 100% effective. Some patients have to have more than one epidural Mm -hmm. blood patch. Um, And the reassuring thing is that almost all the headaches will eventually go away, of even course. on their own. It'll so, heal on its own. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a natural course. It's just going to be a little bit longer. Sometimes it takes three to five days. Sometimes it's up to two weeks. But typically the headache will go away on its own. It's just if you want to speed it up. Oh, yeah. And a new mom does not want to be miserable forever. Absolutely. And this is not for everyone. If you're having a tiny little headache after delivery, that does not mean you have this. This is an impressionable game changer, can't interact with your baby usually problem. This you is a big it. deal. So and we first... 
Yes. Try not to read too much into it. Yeah, we first <laughs> recommend like the non-invasive interventions. Yes. So pain medicine, fluids, caffeine, right. things like Furacet that have all those in there. Um, and so trying to do the non-invasive. And then if patients are still miserable in the next 12 to 24 hours, we'll offer the blood patch. Right. And they're doing more and more research about some other interventions like cosentropin is something that can be given IV. Um, there are certain blocks of the nerves that are up in the nares that can oh. be done. And I've seen some intermittent results from that. Um, some people get good relief and some they don't even notice so um, we'll see as it evolves but the epidural blood patch has definitely been a gold standard for a really long time and shout out for epidurals as well because if you have a baby out your vagina you're probably going to get a little tear and the tear is going to need little stitches or vegan. And if, right. and if then, you're numbish down there, then it's going to be far less uncomfortable to have that repaired. It is perfectly fine if you have a baby without um, an epidural. Um, if you do tear, we can attempt to inject the area with lidocaine and make that more comfortable for you. But lidocaine going in your vagina. Not so fun. Is not so comfortable. And it's very difficult to numb the swollen, torn tissue. So we're not always super successful in making that a comfortable experience. It's just something else to like think about. Um, It's the trade-off, you know, for the birth style. Absolutely. It can also be useful after delivery. So if the patient's Mm. bleeding and needs to go to the OR and get, you know, a little Mm. clean out there um, or those (laughs) repairs. Clean it out. Yep, little DNC well, or something can that help can help. That out with some yeah. postpartum hemorrhaging. It's That's right. sometimes definitely very, very helpful. We do like that. And we do a lot of pressing and pushing and stuff after you've delivered that is not pleasant. So sometimes that's helpful. Oh, well. yes, definitely. Yeah. That's a lot. That That is a lot <laughs> of information. <laughs> I am 100% entertained and educated. Yeah. <laughs> Inspired. Not to have surgery anytime soon. <laughs> but if so. you do, we'll take But care if of I you. do, I know what I'm getting and I'm going to ask <laughs> totally questions. <laughs> Educated, entertained, and inspired. <laughs> you got it. I got it. Yeah. It took a minute, but it came. And uh, this doctor mom just gave us all this fun information while breastfeeding. I mean, Mad props. super, super mom, super Mad doctor mom. Mad I appreciate the supportive environment. And he didn't even like cry. I think, it, I think he just like, telepathically told you that he was hungry it was about something (laughs) like what what even is that i don't i don't relate to this my baby screamed till they're they just woke up and were like peace yeah yeah basically (laughs) at least there is a progression so far where he gives me warning signs that's very good i mean the screaming helped with the latching but (laughs) Well, opportunities. I gotta say, Dr. Michelle Elizabeth Downey, our friend, our super mom. Yeah, we're so happy you came in. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. One of the it. smartest Great people I y'all. know. Yeah, how far? That too. I'm in good company. <laughs> exactly. You heard all this beyond our lips. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Beyond Our Lips. We hope you have been entertained, educated, and inspired.